Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Aaron Eta about the new Better Up report titled, A New Kind of Inclusive Leadership for a New World of Work. Dr. Aaron Ita, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, John. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to be with you today. I'm so uh, uh, excited for the opportunity to talk about this really great new report out, out from BetterUp titled A New Kind of Inclusive Leadership for a New World of Work. Uh, Yes. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. These, this is a very important topic. Uh, it has been for a long time. I think it's really been, um, you know, growing more and more in terms of its its uh, integration into many organizations and the attention that it's been getting. But then we also know that, uh, especially during this pandemic over the last eighteen months, we've seen a lot of challenges in relation to diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And and many reports have even suggested that we've set things back a generation or more uh, in terms of women's equality and equity in the workplace, as well as other marginalized populations. So I I think this this COVID context also has some implications for how we understand inclusion moving into the future. The other aspect of this is though that, you know, COVID has accelerated us into a future of work that we were already kind of the trajectory was taking us there. We're just getting there faster. And now, you know, what, what is it, what are things going to look like in the next five to 10 plus years with more remote workers, uh, distributed workforce and such. And that has tons of implications for inclusion work. And so these are the types of things we're going to be talking about today and that um, are are talked about within this report. As we get started, I wanted to share Aaron's bio with everybody. Dr. Aaron Ita is researcher, author, speaker, and consultant, and serves BetterUp as manager of behavioral sciences. She is the researcher and author behind BetterUp's research and insights blog column, and speaks regularly about the science behind human thriving at both academic and industry events. Erin received her PhD in industrial organizational psychology from the University of South Florida. Before BetterUp, Erin was a professor. With over 30 articles and book contributions, she actively publishes research on the intersection of work and well-being, which has been featured in outlets such as the Journal of Applied Psychology and the Journal of Organizational Behavior, and cited in media outlets such as Harvard Business Review. Erin is the recipient of several awards for scientific works, including authoring the top research paper of the year by the National Communication Association and outstanding author contribution by Emerald Publishing. She lives in Alexandria, Virginia, with her husband and two young children. When not working on research, you can find her and her family on adventures in their converted sprinter van. And I just love everything about your background and your bio, including the sprinter van. I'm incredibly jealous. 
<laughs> long time listeners of the podcast know that's like my dream. Um, yeah. I, I have six children. So my, my wife thinks I'm a little insane to even suggest such a thing. Um, but I, I think it would be amazing to, to roam around in an RV or in a converted van. And totally. honestly, honestly, I I'm, I'm like big into tiny houses. So I would love to get a tiny house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Don't give up on it. Don't give up. Even with six <laughs> children, you can do it. <laughs> I tell my wife that and she says, she, she thinks I'm crazy. So, uh, and, and there's probably some truth to both sides of that. Um, yeah. and, and I really like your scholar practitioner kind of orientation. Um, that's kind of how I like to frame myself as well. Um, I'm, I'm still in the pref- professorial academic realm, um, in, in addition to doing the consulting work. Uh, but I try to do a lot of, uh, you know, both more traditional peer reviewed, um, scholarship as well as act, uh, practitioner oriented publications. And, and I think it's, it's really essential that we do both uh, t- and to be able to continue to tr- contribute to the wall of academic knowledge and add our bricks of, of understanding, um, but also get that, that same knowledge out to organizational leaders and managers so they can actually do something with it. So it's not just sitting there in the ivory tower, right? Exactly. Yeah. That was one of the big one of the big sort of um, disenchantments I went through at one point. I mean, academia has so much to offer and it's such a um, a wonderful institution in general, but I was really craving an opportunity to do work where I could do research and apply science, but then know that it would have a pathway to really actually get to the people who could really use it. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this report because it just is, it's doing it's doing what I yeah, <laughs> would always yeah. want to see. Yeah. Well, very good. So let's dive on in then and talk a little bit more. Uh, well, maybe first we should frame what Better Up is and what it's all about. Uh, and yeah. then we can really start to unpack this report. Awesome. Well, Better Up is the inventor of virtual coaching. Um, we're the global leader in whole person transformation at scale. Uh, so we combine world-class coaching with AI and behavioral science to offer really personalized behavior change to people, um, but doing that at scale. And you know, the goal is really to optimize personal growth and professional growth spanning from the work domain into life. That's incredible. And uh, what a wonderful thing. And I get my regular um, emails from BetterUp uh, pretty often. I'm trying to think maybe even daily. Um, I get my, my little taste and I think it's wonderful. Um, so definitely would encourage listeners to, to check out BetterUp. Now, so let's unpack this report a little bit. Tell us about why um, this was a focus, uh, why this report was put together in the first place, and then we can start to pull it apart and, and talk about some of the findings. Yeah, so we just celebrated a pretty significant milestone at BetterUp. We we just hit 1 million individual coaching sessions um, that have been offered. And um, th- that wasn't the impetus for this, but uh, what that shows is just sort of the the data significance or the, um, you know, the threshold of accumulation of data that we've, we've reached um, really is, it's, it just offers this really unique opportunity for us to study human thriving, to understand how people are doing, to see what kind of coaching sessions they're leaning into, how have trends, you know, evolved over time and, and look at subpopulations as well. And so uh, one of the things I've been really excited about is just, you know, 
devoting my, my time to really thinking about what can we learn? You know, the business does a lot of work for organizations and we also have an opportunity to just generally help the world and the community by extracting insights out of what we see um, when we serve so many people across the globe and, you know, have now offered 1 million coaching sessions. So Anyway, the the report is based on, you know, about 10,000 members who engaged in virtual coaching with BetterUp um, from prior to the pandemic through the pandemic. And the data represent all, you know, walks of life from industries, functions, you know, organizations large and small. Um, and it just provides this really cool, unique window into understanding challenges that people have faced, their needs. Um, including underrepresented groups, women, parents, and then, you know, tracking how people are doing as they're moving in and out of remote and hybrid work arrangements. Yeah. And those, those hybrid arrangements, I mean, I mean, some people are going to remain remote, um, but I think most are probably going to end up in some sort of a hybrid arrangement and, and yes. organizations will have to continue to wrestle with, you know, what that looks like and how they're going to handle that. Uh, and that has tremendous potential implications uh, from a DE&I perspective. Um, so let's, let's talk about that for a minute. What are some of the main findings that you um, present in the report uh, in relation to um, the kind of the shifting nature of work, these hybrid arrangements and, and diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah. So one of the, one of the main findings was uh, really looking at how people's sense of belonging has, has shifted um, and how people are feeling in terms of their sense of, you know, connection to others. Um, and of course, the pandemic was this huge <laughs> catalyst for us shifting into, you know, in and out of isolation and, and, and lockdowns and different uh, types of uh, remote working styles. Um, and, and so, you know, as we entered into 2021 and we had vaccines roll out, people were returning to work, return to work became, you know, uh, a hot topic in, in terms of, you know, industry. Um, you would expect that maybe we'd see some rebounding in belonging and that people are now reconnecting again and, and having that mobility again is, is helpful in reestablishing our, our sense of community and our sense of connection. Um, but surprisingly, what we found unfortunately, was, was the opposite of that. Um, belonging has just been on this downward trend uh, since the pandemic began and just really has like tanked since 2021. And what was really fascinating to me about that is that, you know, 2021 coincides with the return and, you know, a reemergence into some sort of new normal. And a lot of people, you know, getting back into office spaces and things like that. And yet, we're still seeing this really dire need for addressing a, a belonging um, gap and a disparity there. And, and so what I think is happening um, and what we talk about in the report a little bit, we show also some data about you know, the trends of people returning to work and, and going into hybrid forms of work and, and fully back into the office. But one of the things that I think this signals is that although we see, and again, something we talk about in the report is there are a lot of benefits to going into hybrid forms of work or into um, remote forms of work. Like people actually get benefits from this. One of the findings is that moving into hybrid work, there's a well-being advantage. So people are actually doing better with well-being when they have that flexibility. Great, this is great news. But at the same time, there's what we're calling a belonging tax on hybrid work. And I think that that's really important for us to think about and understand and for organizations to recognize that, 
yes, as we look to the future, flexibility is going to be the future. Like we are, you know, organizations who can embrace that are going to have the competitive edge in the talent marketplace. But if we're not also uh, backing that up with some new strategic thinking and redefinition of what inclusive leadership looks like in order to preserve belonging for people, I think it's it's not going to, you know, yeah. it's not going to go as well as we might hope. Well, yeah, thank you for that. I, that is super interesting. And it is worth noting, you know, we, we a lot of times you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I think about those elements in terms of a Venn diagram and, and the intersection of all three of those pieces in a Venn diagram in the middle is the belonging piece. So when you, when you're doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, well, you're creating an environment where everyone can truly feel a sense of belonging, where they're able to contribute in meaningful ways uh, and really be their best authentic self at work, you know, consistently. Right. And so that's certainly what we want. We want to get past you know, the rhetoric of diversity, we want to get past just getting, you know, you know, equitable, diverse groups of people around the table, we actually want them to be included, we want them to feel like they belong, we want them to have an opportunity to contribute. And, um, and so this, this belonging piece is so essential. And the belonging tax that you describe, uh, I find super intriguing, um, because there are a lot of benefits to remote work and hybrid work to flexible work. There's tons of benefits to that. There's been lots of research to demonstrate those benefits. Um, yet there are some challenges and there are some drawbacks and, and this belonging tax is, is one of the really important ones. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, maybe unpack that a little bit um, because I just think that's such a fascinating term. Yeah. Well, I, I think too, that what, what is going on with this, you know, belonging trend and the belonging tax is that we've, we've now introduced to the workplace, a whole new form of diversity. So, you know, in the past, we, as diversity, inclusion and belonging, you know, uh, researchers and, um, and experts have, you know, talked a lot about different subpopulations and intersectionality. And, you know, there's a lot that we have, have progress that we've made in the last several decades. And now what I think is happening is that adding in this layer of diversified work arrangement, where some people may be remote, some people are in the office, some people may be doing hybrid, and that diversification may vary inside of teams. It may vary across an organization. And even if an entire organization, like some of the, some of the organizations that are still, you know, really holding on to like, you know, the, we got to have people back in the office, you know, and we're, it's the policy, we're going to bring everyone back. It's still your, your clients, your customers, you know, your, your uh, other, you know, uh, interactions with other businesses, et cetera. Those people are in totally different arrangements. So it's going to be like an unavoidable, um, reconciliation, something we're going to have to, you know, deal with. And I think that having the, you know, I think that there's a risk that we're, we're, we're seeing a risk. Like if you're in the office, do you have access to other information or, you know, more opportunity to network, more opportunity to relationship build? Is there some sort of, um, you know, unconscious perhaps bias that we might start developing for those working from home, those in the office, those doing a hybrid um, and, and that's what I worry about. And that I think is the belonging text here is that we're now adding in this additional form of diversity that we've not really had to address, um, to the same degree in the past.
I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Well, yeah, and I th- and I think an important point in all of this is, you know, thinking, for example, about women in leadership uh, mm-hmm. as it relates to hybrid and remote work. So we know during the pandemic, for example, that women were disproportionately negatively impacted, you know, in terms of work arrangements um, because women disproportionately take on household um, tasks and child and elder care and all of these sorts of things. And so when all of a sudden you have kids at home doing school, um, it disproportionately fell on women to be at home to help them. And some jobs allowed for that. Other jobs didn't. Um, some people felt like they could handle doing both. Others didn't. And, and so you have this, this negative impact uh, in that kind of an environment. Um, but moving, let's say we get out of that, we get to back to the point where, you know, people are in school and, and, uh, and women and men, both uh, people of all, all types are kind of working remotely and in hybrid arrangements from wherever they want, whenever they want. Um, the, the question remains, who's, who's more likely to take advantage of those flexible arrangements? And I don't know the answer to that, but my suspicion is that women would disproportionately take advantage of those flexible arrangements because they continue to take on an additional burden of these extra um, care tasks. Um, And whether, whether that's good or bad or right or wrong, whatever, like it just is. And so if that's the case, um, it, it, it could really potentially play, pay, uh, play out in a negative way for career pro- progression for women and, and particularly in leadership and executive roles, it seems. Yes. Um, yes. T- talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we, we did look into some subpopulations in terms of how they've fared through the pandemic and, and, and what their experiences have been and how they've been different. And one of the things we looked at, of course, was women, uh, you know, with the, the she session <laughs> that, you know, has happened and kind of the regression in women's, um, you know, participation rate in the workforce. Um, it, of course, this is a huge and an important issue. And uh, one of the things we found was that um, interestingly, women are using coaching, you know, of course we have data on this. Women are using coaching for the topic of career planning and career advancement disproportionately more now than, than before. And I think, you know, this is 
really touching on what you were saying. It's a signal or a marker of, of, of exactly what you were saying that, you know, women are having to, they're, we're, you know, we're, we all, women, men, parents, families are facing these decisions of like, should, you know, do I want my life to be designed in a way where I work from home? Is there advantages to that? Um, is this beneficial for me, for my family, for my kids, you know, whatever the circumstance is? And what is the implication of that on my career, on my ability to contribute, on my advancement potential? Um, what do I really want? And I think, you know, this also ties into kind of a theme of it's not just the great recession we're looking at, but we're also looking at this kind of great rethinking and reevaluation of our own, you know, meaning and purpose and identities um, and what we really want. So we see, we, we see that, we saw that in our coaching data. Um, one of the other interesting things about women that we found was that when women felt that their workplace was really committed to their well-being and supported well-being for them, those women had 31% uh, higher intent to stay with the organization. So what that really signals is that the organ, if, you know, if organizations are concerned about women's representation and concerned about, you know, keeping them, advancing them, you know, uh, helping them thrive, one of the levers is going to be really making a commitment to supporting well-being. It just is going to be the case. And, and, you know, the data were really clear that, that that's a big boost, 31% in intent to stay when, when you feel that, you know, your organization really supports your well-being. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge, huge boost. And I think any organization uh, should be excited about that kind of a finding, you know, whether it's related to a, a subpopulation of the workforce or just the workforce in general, because we're always yeah. thinking about how to better attract and retain the best talent. And that's, that's even more challenging now than ever. I mean, yeah. with more distributed workforce, the reality is, you know, the, the great rethinking, as you described, you know, we're challenging assumptions and we're saying, why do I need to be limited to the geographic area around my physical office space? Yes. <laughs> and so literally I can pull from the best talent anywhere in the world. Um, so there's global competition for the best talent. Um, that opens up all sorts of opportunities, but it also creates challenges uh, for organizations. And, and we know right now that it's hard to get good talent. It, it was already difficult. It was already so challenging to get, you know, enough skilled workers in STEM fields, for example, in certain industries, you know, it was just so hard to get good people. And, and now we're finding it's even more challenging because people are rethinking their values. They're thinking, rethinking um, what matters most to them. And they want work that's meaningful, that can contribute to society as a whole. They want to make a meaningful impact. And they just expect for that to be built into what they do. And they don't, they're not as willing to just do mindless jobs that put yeah. themselves in danger and, and, and put their families in danger. And so the, the great rethinking, I think, is, is super important. Of course, all of these uh, inclusion and belonging elements are embedded in a lot of what we need to rethink. And certainly we just need to challenge assumptions and not just continue to do things just because it's the way it's always been done. Um, an another point that you made that I think is just worth highlighting, you know, there, there really are still holdouts um, that really believe in this idea of FaceTime at work. Um, and the, mm -hmm. the, the person who's a good worker is the person who's always there in their office. So if the boss walks by, 
you know, they, they know that that person's there. So they're the committed, they're the dedicated one. They're the one that's, right. that they can lean on. Who's more likely then to get the promotion? Who's more likely then to get the special projects that can help you learn and grow and, and develop in your career? Um, and, and we know, I mean, there's so much research on this that that's kind of a silly notion. And this past 18 months should have taught us that lesson that it doesn't matter. Um, when, where, how you do your work, as long as you're productive and you have good outcomes, um, yet it persists. And, and I'm not sure, I, I, I suppose over time we will get away from that, but in the meantime, over the next five plus years, you know, there's still going to be a lot of persistent attitudes around, I want these people physically in the office space, and I'm going to judge their contributions based on how much I see them at their desk. Um, how, how do you think we can can uh, battle that um, so yeah. that we don't put, for example, women or other diverse groups at a disadvantage? Yeah, uh, great question and great call out. I, I think that, you know, the manager is really key, right? And I think this is what you're alluding to when you're saying, you know, there's some holdouts that are going to be, you know, looking at the landscape of who am I going to give this next opportunity to or this special project or who comes into my mind. And, the, and you know what, look, it, it, it likely is a very natural human bias to, you know, have some of this happen. So it, it takes effort to really, I think, as we go into this new, like, future uh, is, you know, flexible work, um, we have to help managers and leaders and those decision makers recognize that, you know, be able to stop themselves and see this happening. And I think like right now we have this like great opportunity because so many organizations are rethinking a lot of things. You know, they're thinking about policy. They're thinking about arrangement. They're thinking about like what, you know, what is the strategy for the next couple of years, um, given like so much around us has changed. And this is also creating this really great like moment in time where organizations can also say, you know what, I'm going to also rethink how much I'm investing in, you know, leader training around inclusive leadership and teaching these skills and making sure that people have the support they need and learn those behaviors that really are going to help um, to create an equal playing field across people, regardless of, you know, subpopulation status or whether they're, you know, a remote worker, a hybrid worker, someone, you know, geographically dispersed in some way, et cetera. Um, so one of the things that we did look at was, uh, it was, you know, of course, like a very uh, timely question to sort of ask, like, has what inclusive leadership looks like and what really good inclusive leaders look like? Has it changed? So much has changed. Our environments have changed etc. Did inclusive leadership change too? And is the behavior set that we used to think about and that we've done research on um, to understand what really creates that belonging and creates that sense of equity, is that different now? And so we, we looked pre-pandemic, what is this constellation of behaviors that drives, uh, you know, inclusion in the workplace? What was it then? And, and compare that to what it is now. And we've learned three things basically from that kind of effort one is it hasn't fundamentally changed. So that's kind of good news. You know, it's, it's not like some really ridiculously different set of behaviors that we have to start like thinking about. It's fundamentally the same thing. It's about, you know, it's about encouraging participation. It's about equal voice. It's about connecting with people. Like all of those things still stand. But there's two other things that were interesting. One was that the relative sort of importance of 
of those different uh, behavioral things, you know, being really good at, at making sure everyone is contributing, for example, it's still important, but not as much because we're also now seeing that things like alignment is really important. And I see why, like, you know, intuitively this makes sense when you've got people all over the place and you're trying to work as a team, like you've got to be super careful that you are aligned with people. They understand goals. They know what their part is. Like they're not feeling excluded from information, from, you know, new directions, from pivots, like any of that. And so that's now like a really important one. Empathy has become more important and having empathy for people and really, you know, um, you know, putting your heart into these relationships. So these things are now different, like the relative weight has changed. And then the third thing was that the, just the overall um, predictive power of an inclusive leader on their team sense of belonging and their sense of feeling included has increased by 26%. So it's more and important that's, now. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and, you know, like it, it just really means like the stakes are higher. Like it just, the organizations that will get this right and that, you know, do this well are going to have a differentially high competitive advantage. They're going to be able to keep that talent and the people that aren't getting picked, you know, in organizations where it's, it, it is what you were describing sort of the um, the case where there may be some bias happening against certain groups, like they're going to lose their diversity. And we know, you know, when you lose diversity, you're going to lose lots of other things like innovation yeah. and creativity and, you know, all of those things. So, yeah. Well, very well said, Aaron. Um, this has just been fascinating. And I'm so excited to really dig in deeper into this report and would encourage listeners to, to check it out as well. I'll add the link in the show notes so you can find it easily. Um, before we wrap up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance uh, to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a yeah. final word on the topic for today. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so please, yeah, I'm happy to connect with anyone. You can find me on LinkedIn, Aaron Etaw, and also you can find the, the Insights blog um, that I write every week from BetterUp on our blog um, at betterup.com. And you can also find the, the whole report there that's chock full of not just these insights, but lots of other ones. Um, so would yeah, would love to be connected with anyone. And yeah, I just want to thank you so much, John. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, maybe in the future, we both can be working from our, our sprinter vans. <laughs> I would love to. That sounds amazing. I'm actually going on sabbatical from the university here in January. And so I, I have these dreams, but we'll see what actually comes to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, you so much for having me. Thank you. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, check out the report, check out more about Aaron's work in the blog. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? 
What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.